Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 9th, 2019. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm living in Wilsonville, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, June 7th, 2019 are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting is 13008. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting, the share ID number is 13019, This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 11, A Clay to be Molded by the Potter. It seems important to summarize just a bit here before the teaching of step 11, which is to help maintain a fit spiritual condition. We know that we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. We know that the main obstacle between those two would be the mind, twisted obsessive thinking, rather than the body. The allergy cannot stop from starting and once started, have little control over how much I'm going to consume. The mind being the main central operating system of the body out from which it's conducting all sorts of ideas and ideals needs a treatment. The 12 steps would be that suggested treatment. The main goal of the big book is to help the reader find a power greater than themselves by which to solve this dilemma, i.e. the treatment. So when I think of the clay, the potter, and step 11, I consider these things, all of these ideas about this disease before I move on. My mind needs molding and modeling anew. Now just begun, the mind would strive to be open to new thoughts, new ideas, new attitudes by which to build a parallel of life, utilizing a power greater than oneself. Prayer and meditation is the way in which this process of reshaping can take place. The quietness of meditation to settle the twisted thinking and racing thoughts and prayer to develop a relationship in order to know that power is what step 11 is teaching us. The clay, perhaps being that mind, and the potter, in this case, being the power molding the mind to shift and solve this problem. This is truly, truly a vital step and one for certain daily action. Grow and enlarge our conscious contact by which we can now live. This morning, A Vision for You, Sunday Special Edition, has another excellent opportunity to learn from the experience of another. Step 11, a clay to be molded by the potter. Joining us today to speak further on this topic is Larry Kay. Larry is, a sincere, is sincerely a loyal member of Overeaters Anonymous, surrendering his will and his life over to the care of this potter. He resides in the Chicago, Illinois area, and you will find him oftentimes on A Vision for You weekday meetings sharing his experience, strength, and hope as we study the big book. Please help me in welcoming Larry Kay to the line this morning. Good morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Melanie. Can, am I coming through okay? Loud and clear. Okay, great. Melanie, th- I want to just um, express my gratitude to you. I know we are not, we're certainly, uh, there's no hierarchy here, and there's no self-anointed ones. We hear that. But but you do a lot of things behind the scenes, and I, I just have great gratitude um, for that. And I know that you're a, you help a lot of people, including me. So I just want to ex- express that gratitude, so allow me to do that. Um, so I'm Larry Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and, and we're going to be talking about Step 11 this morning. Um, and, and as Melanie did a wonderful lead-in to this about the uh, 
the clay and the potter, and it is very biblical in nature. You know, there's no denying that. And and leading into step 11, you know, in, in our admonition to improve our conscious contact with our creator, because that's what we're trying to do at 11 through prayer and meditation, you know, it occurred to me, and I'm certainly not the first one, because most of what we, you know, what we learn and what we try to apply um, in this program, we've heard certainly from others, and, and, and that's the case uh, for me. So you're, you're, you're not going to hear anything um, that's going to come out of my mouth this morning that, uh, that I created. Um, it's, all, it's all God's handiwork, and it's all, you know, built upon the shoulders of, of other giants and people that many of whom I didn't listen to for a long time. And eventually the disease beat me into a state of reasonableness, and I was, you know, I was ready to hear these, these teachers. Um, so it, it occurs to me, as it has to others, that the use of this old metaphor may help us to see the step with a, a sharpened perceptive lens, because that's what I'm looking to do. So I'm going I'm to use the pot and the potter as metaphors to illuminate the relationship between God, my, my higher power, which is the potter, and, and each of us, you know, the, I'm, I'm the pottery, I'm the pot. Um, it's not legal in Illinois yet, I don't think, but I'm the pot. <laughs> Let's take a brief um, visual journey, if you'd, if you'd care to join me. Um, see, in my mind's eye, uh, there's this beautiful clay pot, and maybe you've heard a variation of this, this, uh, this metaphor. And I, now, you know, before it was transformed into the shimmering, you know, glazed, uh, I picture sort of a colorful pot, um, it, it, it started out as merely a formless lump of, of clay without any specific purpose. And that was me coming into program. There was a lot of unmanageability. I thought I was fully shaped and formed, but uh, my life and the manifestation of the spirituality proved otherwise. Um, maybe I wasn't ready to face that so much when I first got here. So if you're in that place, you know, that's okay. That's where I was as well. And it's, and it's an evolving journey, but we have this clay pot and it's and, and eventually it's transformed into the shimmering you know deal and it started out as this formless lump of clay without any purpose and it's it's nothing but a lump of clay right and and allow me to digress for a more uh, for a moment in in the first appendix in the big book appendix 1 on page 565 where we have the the, the long forms of each tradition it's kind of laid out tradition 10 states that no aa group and I'm talking about AA for the moment, right? But it applies to us. It's the foundation for OA. No AA group or member should ever in any such, uh, such a way as to implicate OA express any opinion on outside controversial issues, particularly, the, particularly those of politics, alcohol reform, or sectarian religion. So if you hear anything from me that, that seems to be coming from a place that sounds like sectarian religion, um, that's just not who I am. I'm I'm a spiritual person, and we don't favor any particular religion. We're a big tent here, so I want to, I want to, you know, lay that out. So when I share the next idea, you know, please know that I, I don't advocate for any particular religion, practice, or belief in a higher power. This is personal to, for each of us. Each individual gets to figure out what their creator is. They alone how they understand that creator, how they interpret that creator, and, and ultimately how they form that relationship with that creator. So with that, with that, you know, out of the way, we can come back to the, the pot and the potter. And uh, this metaphor, in fact, is biblical in nature. And there's many references in the Bible, stories where God is referred to as the potter, you know, shaping, 
molding and breathing, you know, sustainable life into the pot. And that's what it feels like to me. That's what this, this process has felt like. And, and again, without a purpose, this lump of clay remains unformed. It's, it's really all it is, is essentially dirt and water without potential is the way I look at it. And that's, that's where I was. And yet the potter sees otherwise. And God, I believe, saw something that I could not. And this creator saw a potential work of art, not better than, not less than, but, but, but we all, we're all imbued with, with God's, um, God's miracles and different talents and, and different things. We, we may not believe it. We may not have experiential evidence through our perceptive lens to see it, but it's there. It's there. And, you know, the, uh, the, the God envisioned something out of that lump of dirt that could be made useful and whole. And that being the case, God unfolds a plan and, and, and puts this, this plan into action. Now, the thing about it is, you know, God cannot nor will God force this miraculous plan without my cooperation. I can get in the way. I don't know why uh, my creator gave, gave me self-will. I just accept that he did. And whether we accept this or not, the need for cooperative surrender, some type of cooperative surrender, so it's, it's, it's imbued with, with action and yet letting go at the same time. It's very, it's very paradoxical, right? And we, through work and self-sacrifice, that's going to be the difference that will ultimately determine whether I remain, you know, that lump of unformed clay or a beautifully imperfect gleaming pot. And so with, with our cooperation, when we come into a program, God begins to form the design. And he, and, he, and he places that lump of clay, if you will, on, on the pottery wheel. And I've, I've done it before. Some of you probably, have, you know, may, maybe have spent more time engaged in that type of thing. But you, you, you put that lump of clay on the pottery wheel and, you, you know, you, you begin to shape and mold it. And slowly but surely using that metaphor, as I, as I begin to cooperate and accept things which don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to me coming in, you know, a magnificent work of art begins to, to take shape. And frankly, you know, I'm, I'm fearful. I, I'm fearful that my new shape is not sustainable. You know, please, God, don't, don't let me go back, back to being that lump of clay because there's fears, you know, that we come into this program and we surrender and we work and we take action after action after action. And yet, if you're anything like me, and I've talked to many, many people in program, many, of, uh, many fellows that have that same fear that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to what that horrible life was like, that, that life of unmanageability and out-of-control eating or restricting, or whatever you're... These are merely manifestations of the spiritual malady, right? And so I'm fearful that it's not sustainable. And, uh, and I carry that fear. But it's, it's almost as though, like for me, you know, not to worry, God would say, not to worry. Trust in this process. Cooperate. You know, have patience in the midst of your fear. And the other beautiful pots, you know, our fellows, the other beautiful pots encourage you in the midst of your fear. Have courage. Feel the fear. Cooperate anyway. Trust in the process. We all had to do the same to get to, to this place. Not a place of perfection, right? There is no perfection. 
so any pot that's telling you otherwise is is, is not being maybe, maybe has a has a different view of this, but that that was not the case for me. And so you look over with trepidation. I, I think that means fear, but I'm not sure. But you look over with trepidation as God leads you towards, you know, this 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 flat rock platform in the sweltering sun. Now He's molded and shaped you. He's begun the process. And there's no shade in sight. And and but God, you know, a higher power, you know, you said, you know, but God, you say, I, I, I was told by other pots that I would begin to feel better by cooperating with you. But I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I'm rigid and I'm uncomfortable. And my body feels rigid and I'm, and I'm irritable. And I didn't sign up for this to be placed out in the heat, in the sun. Is it, I mean, is it too much to ask God for a, just a shaded tree? Maybe 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 some ice cold water you can pour over me. Maybe a Snickers bar, you know, whatever, you know. And and yes, God says you you are free to have all you wish and more if you like. But here's the thing: if you're taken out of the sun, you'll never dry and harden, and you'll never be able to be of maximum service to me and to your to the to your fellows, and and you will begin to lose your shape. But if you you know, if you forego your immediate desires, if you have courage in the face of your fear, soon enough you're going to be ready to be used for your greater purpose. See, like the clay pot, you and I have the opportunity to be brought out from, you know, for many of us, great traumas, and, and, and we have our past and maybe a lifetime of misery and, and, and different issues in our childhood and different relationships and and all manners of debilitating circumstances, right, to a place of spiritual transformation. We have that opportunity. And, and when that, you know, that miraculous clay pot shimmers for all to see, so we do, so we, they see us. We, we demonstrate through how we, how we are now, this changed, transformed person. Guess what? First, they come to know and acknowledge with gratitude that they are not now and, and nor will they ever be the potter. I'm never going to be the potter. I, I give credit to the potter. I'll never lose sight that I was once a lump of clay. And so, you know, we carry a message of hope to the still suffering uh, lumpy clay community, right? They, they, we, we don't stand in judgment of the lumpy ones. <laughs> Nobody, not too many people were standing in ju judgment of me. And the ones that did, um, you know, they were still working through their own their own, you know, issues in development, spiritual development. Rather, they show them precisely how the potter was able to transform them. And so they, they have, uh, you know, they have acceptance and love and sometimes tough love. That's, that's okay, too. And they show precisely how the potter, they're not going to be vague about it. They show how the potter was able to transform them as long as they cooperate and surrender and trust in the process. In other words, do the work that the potter requires of them. And that's what we're asked to do. And so that's kind of the lead in, you know, before I, um, you know, lead into a discussion of step 11, I'd like to speak to some of the, you know, the requirements of membership in Overeaters Anonymous, right? We, we talk about that. What is that? Well, it's pretty clear. The only requirement for membership in Overeaters Anonymous is a desire to stop eating compulsively. That's all that you need to do to be here to, to claim your seat. You don't have to do anything else. 
And frankly, in an open meeting of OA, you don't even need that, right? So I can, I can sit my butt in a seat every day. I can get on this line every day. I can listen to special edition after special edition. I can go to meetings, all these things. And they're all, they're all important. And nothing more is required of me to call myself a member as long as I have a desire to stop eating compulsively. Now, that said, if you have an intentional desire to get well, oh, well, that, that, that's a whole nother deal, right? If you have a desire to get well in Overeaters Anonymous, that is to say, recover. When we say to get well, to recover from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, well, then there, there's something like, I, th- I can't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's like about 75 musts in the, uh, I'll need Harlan or some other historian here, in the first 164 pages of the big book. Oh, there's all kinds of musts if I want to recover. And all the while I thought, of course I want to recover. I'm just not either. It wasn't expressed to me that there was specific requirements to do the work, specific instructions to follow. Or I felt because I was someone that always cut corners. I mean, I, you know, I want to work smart, not hard. And so I continued to get exactly what I put into it, which was a bunch of half measures in the context of this program. So it says, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough. Remember that line, you know, we're begging you. We've watched people drop like flies. We're telling you what you're going to have to do if you want to get well. Now on to step 11. Step 11, as we know, reads sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's a lot of words. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of words. And, and, and the 11th step in my mind is almost its own little direction pamphlet, if you will, just in the way it's written, in that it starts out with, with the word sought. So the 11th step is telling us you need to seek something. We're seeking something, right? You need to be out there looking for something. Well, what are we looking for? What are we seeking? Before it even tells us what we're seeking, it tells us how we're seeking. So if I'm the clay and not the potter, you know, easy does it, but do it. It seems to work. Easy does it, sure, but do it. You know, that works for me with step 11. Perhaps the idea of wearing life like a loose garment is apropos regarding the 11th step. So in other words, taking action and doing the next right thing does not seem to go hand in hand with being manic, right? We, we find out that we can take action and be serene and peaceful in concert with that action. And I think that's, that's something that I try to do with step 11. So you're going to seek using two very specific tools. This isn't for me. This is right out of the big book. The two very specific tools, the tools of prayer and meditation. Then it tells you what you're seeking using the tools of prayer and meditation. You're seeking to do what? You're seeking to improve your conscious contact with the God of your understanding. And it even tells us that while, you know, we're we're seeking to improve your conscious contact with the God of your understanding, using, again, the tools of prayer and meditation, that you'll only be praying for two things, only two things. Knowledge of God's will for us is the first thing, right? Knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. 
What's your will, God, and how best can I carry that out? Um, you know, which speaks to the idea that to a large extent, the simpler my prayers, the purer my prayers. For me, you know, that, that if I can keep them simple, that, you know, there's some purity in that. And perhaps the more powerful my prayers, when I keep it simple in trying to understand God's uh, knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. So knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, so now the idea is that we're not really praying for anything specific. And and nobody is suggesting, I'm certainly not suggesting that you're bad or you're wrong for praying for something specific. But I I have found I try to avoid it. I try to avoid it. Allow me to share, you know, a bit about my daughter for a moment because she's, she's pretty much the most powerful place I can go in terms of trying to direct God's will, okay? I don't know if you can relate. There, there are people in our lives that they represent a very powerful place we can go to try to direct God's will. So I, I've had the experience of my daughter taking a plane somewhere without me because we used to fly together, right? And not, not, now not so much. It's pretty rare. And, you know, this, this young lady is pretty well-traveled. She's been pretty blessed that way, much, much more so than when I was her age. I mean, she's 23 at this point. So many times since, say, the age of 18 or 17, she's had the opportunity to travel somewhere without me, right? Yippee, you know, don't have to, <laughs> don't have to travel with Dad. It's not such a bad thing as you're trying to, you know, get some independence here and carve your own way, right? So many times I have driven her to the airport, you know, departures here, and and I get out of the car and I give her a hug and a kiss, and then I, I see her walk into the airport, and I'm in my car, right? And the impatient guy whose job it is to keep traffic moving uh, says, you know, you know, get out of here. I mean, you keep this moving, right? At least at O'Hare, that's the way it is. And as I begin to drive away from the curb, some, I don't know, I suppose addict thought enters my head. It pops. That's the last time you're ever going to see your daughter again. That's that addict thought. Does any, any, anyone have children or a spouse or a partner or loved one where you, you can identify with that? And, and if I'm the only crazy one, that's okay. I'll accept that uh, title. But that's the last time I'm going to see her. The plane is going to go down. What is that? Where does, it, where, where, where does that come from? But see, my point here is that in that moment, my instinct is to say, God, please watch over my daughter. Please get her safely to her destination. And I resist that. And I resist it because, in my experience, I can't wake up every morning saying, thy will be done. God, you run the show. But here's a couple of caveats, right? Here's a couple of directives, God, on how best to run Larry's life, right? That's not really going to work for me if my goal is to stay out of God's way, stay out of the way. So I have directives for God. I want, I, I've got a list of things that I want God to do for me, which really, um, you know, is getting away from, you know, praying for knowledge of God's will for us and merely the power to carry that out. See how I, I try to keep it simple and get out of the business of giving God directives. And again, when I gave God directives in a manner of speaking, I didn't see it that way. And I'm not suggesting that if you're still there, as I can be at times, that you're bad 
or, or somehow not recovered. Not at all. I'm just suggesting. I'm, I'm merely laying out some ways that I can move away from what the instructions are here. Because, it, 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 you know, it's, I have a good intention for my daughter to, you know, is it so bad that I want God to get my daughter there safely? That There's nothing bad about that. But I resist that now. Now, do I have any idea how I would live through it if my daughter, you know, honestly went down in a plane? No, no, no idea whatsoever. I, I, I haven't a clue. Do I believe that if something like that happened, that I could be carried through it by my higher power, that I could stay sober, that I could find a way to perhaps one day be, again, happy, joyous, and free? Yeah, I, I do. Now, I'm really not interested in being put to that test, right? I'm not particularly interested in being put to that test, but I, I, I have seen, you know why I think that? Because I have seen people overcome in the midst of being recovered, dealing with situations like that. And yes, grieving, and yes, uh, having a hole in their heart, and yes, having all, all manner of challenges, change forever, a hole in their heart, all of that. And I have seen them go, go on to live happy, joyous, and free, to be productive human beings, you know, serving their creator and serving those around them. I have seen that. So I have confidence that's, that's doable, that God can accomplish those things. The big book is going to, to give us some information, some data, if you will, you know, about, about how we stay in conscious contact with God and, and how we work on our conscious contact with God. And, and the book is going to break it down into three categories. And these are going to be our second, third, and fourth spiritual directives, second, third, and fourth spiritual directives in terms of the maintenance and growth of our spiritual condition. Because keep in mind, what we've learned and I've been taught is that steps 10, 11, and 12, having, you know, we've had a spiritual awakening at this point. We're now transitioning into the maintenance and growth steps where we try to maintenance and grow what we've been so uh, graciously given by our higher power, which is recovery. We've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So it's going to give us some directives to, to maintain and grow the, our spiritual condition. Um, we're going to find out what we do in the mornings. We're going to find out what we do as we go through the day. And we're going to find out what we do in the evenings. And, that, and, that, and that's the best way it's going to be broken down for us because, interestingly, the book's going to begin with what we do in the evening. And you're going to find that on page 86 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because remember, steps 10, 11, and 12 are what are referred, as I said, as the maintenance and growth steps. Because we are endeavoring to maintain and grow what we've been so graciously uh, given, which is the gifts of recovery. So we're going to do a spiritual review in the evening of how we did that day, of, of how we were that day, Right. And the book is going to give us 10 questions to ask ourselves each night. And I never did those in my first five years in, in recovery, in, over, in Overeaters Anonymous. Because I didn't feel, I felt shame and remorse that I never really got to that point because I continued to stay stuck in the food. I continued to step on the toes of others. I continued to embrace my resentments and try to sort of therapeutically get myself out of the resentments and the fears and, and try to distract myself from the harms 
done to others, including sex conduct, and occasionally I'd put pen to paper. But most often then, as soon as I picked up the food, I felt like a fraud. And so I did, as people say, kind of the one, two, three shuffle, and then a Kit Kat bar. And then I'm right back down to one. I'm not worthy. So forget about 10 questions in in, in step 11. I'm not there. Now, I did say prayers, but I didn't follow the spiritual directives and the, remember we talk about precise instructions? Well, it's going to get, we're going to read them. It's going, to, it's going to give us precise instructions. But if you try to do that when you know in your heart of hearts that you haven't completed the process and that you have a white knuckled abstinence and the unmanageability continues to grow and expand, good luck with doing that. I tried, it didn't, it didn't work. But when we get there, um, you know, the idea, you know, being that once you're in, in 10, 11, and 12, you do this every evening. Nobody's saying that if you miss a day, you're bad or wrong or naughty, but, but this is the idea, right? So every evening as a person in recovery, I ask myself the following 10 questions. First question, where was I resentful today? You know, you know who ticked me off today? What, what, were, what resentments am I carrying? Question two, where was I selfish today, right? And it may be that you weren't selfish today. You don't have to come up with an answer. But, you know, where did I exhibit selfishness today? I need to ask myself that. Question three, where was I dishonest today? You know, what, what lies did I tell? Where was I less than completely honest, right? Where did I omit dishonesty through omission? And this may involve exaggeration. Um, I got, you know, big case of big shotism, you know, exaggeration, lies of omission, I said, white lies, disingenuousness, disingenuousness. You know, there's all sorts of things. We have a whole host of neat ways to say that we were lying. Question four, what was I scared of today? Where did fear show up in my life today? Uh, Question, that was question four. Question five, Do I owe anyone an apology? Is there an amend I need to make? Honesty counting here, right? Very important. How free do I want to be? Well, if I want to be completely free, I need to be honest. Question six, am I keeping anything to myself which I need to discuss with another person? You know, what am I keeping that, to myself that I need to discuss with my sponsor, my partner, whoever? It doesn't say specifically. The word sponsor is not in there, but, you know, a sponsor may do. But there's something. I need to get, get that information out. We live in a world of secrets, and we hear oftentimes, uh, you know, we're as sick as our secrets. What is it that I am not sharing with someone that I'm carrying around and about the best I can do is distract myself from that secret that really needs to come out? Because those are the things I have found that keep me blocked off from the sunlight of the spirit. Maybe not completely blocked off, but, you know, the more that I'm carrying secrets. So, for example, I got a person at work. Maybe you got a, you got a guy at work too, right? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, a, you know, or maybe it's someone in your family. And... I'm carrying this resentment, and it's a justified resentment, and I'm recovered today by the grace of God, the grace and mercy of God. So I can say, well, I'm recovered. I, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's an irritation. It'll go away. I don't need to share it. And I can get in the habit of not sharing that information. I got a coworker. 
she may be one of us. I don't know. It's really none of my business. And like me, you know, she probably looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and acts like a duck. You know, so she might be. But it's, as I say, it's none of my business. I just want to give you some context. And so invariably, like me, not only, you know, might she compulsively overeat on a pretty regular basis, but she steps on the toes of others. And sometimes people get hit with shrapnel, right, when she does these things. And, and I, my guess would be, like me, the way I used to be, she lives in fear. She's protecting her turf. She's, you know, wearing masks because, my goodness, I don't want to reveal my true self to you. So I'm going to hide. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to throw, under people, uh, uh, throw other people under the bus. I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal whatever serves me because, remember, it is about me, and yet I can't even see it. So since I can't see it, what, is, what in the heck is the matter with all these people, I thought. Everyone is not cooperating. If people would just get their act together, if they would just follow my script, of course, I didn't use that terminology, everything would be fine. Now, I carry a resentment at times towards her because she continues to behave the way she does. And I am not her parent. I am not her, you know, I am not her best friend. I am not her creator. So that's above my pay grade. But I need to share that, even if it's a justified resentment, because if I don't, Snicker bars are going to seem like a step up. Or if the food doesn't get me, I will retaliate and cut that guy off in the road I will, if I carry that resentment, it's going to eat away at me like a cancer over time. And it's cumulative. So I need to share that with someone else. What am I not sharing that I need to share? Question seven. Was I kind and loving towards all people around me today? I mean, that's pretty much a yes or no question, right? Was I kind and loving? And I got to be honest about it. Or was I you know, texting someone or calling someone to draw, you know, to let them know through my own irritation and lack of acceptance of them, was I letting them know how wrong they are under, under the auspices and premise that, that, that is my job. It's tough love. I can rationalize and justify all sorts of things. And I'm not suggesting that sometimes our truth is the truth. I'm just saying what I try to practice more is love and tolerance. That's my code and acceptance. And, and I'm okay with other people, like let's say on the vision line, <laughs> just using that as an example. I'm okay, I really am okay if other people have divergent opinions about how they do their program. It doesn't frazzle me. I'm not scared of catching what they got. I'm more interested in, you know, what, 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 what is God, how does God want me to be today in relation to that person? Can I be loving and kind or at the very least keep my trap shut? And I say that with love. <laughs> yeah. um, can I keep my trap shut or is it, what is it about me where I lack acceptance that I am the, uh, you know, I am the uh, OA guard here? And so I try that, sometimes effectively, sometimes ineffectively, but I try. I try, I try to practice that. Um, Question eight, what could I have done better? What did I do but not necessarily give my all to? I can ask that of myself. Question nine, was I thinking of myself most of the time? Which is really another yes or no question. Um, 
question 10, was I thinking of what I could do for others, of what I could pack into the stream of life? Really another yes or no question. So 10 questions, three of which are pretty much yes or no. So this is not something that takes a long time. A lot of people you know, call this doing a 10-step in the evening, and that's actually a misnomer. That's part of the 11-step. And many people, I've known many people that will do a written 11-step in the evening. And, and I'm not giving, you know, the, I don't know that we're given that directive specifically, you know. I mean, it does say in the evening. But, I mean, I have found people that, you know, that they just are not, you know, worth much past 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, and so they have a hard time doing that. However, what I will say is that when you do it in the evening, when I've done it in the evening, which I can do it pretty quickly, it's, it's, a, it's really powerful, you know, to write these things down every night, perhaps share it with another, you know, accountability partner or sponsor or not. However you do it, I don't know that there's a definitive way. But here's the thing, whether writing it or doing it orally, the idea is that every single night you ask yourself these 10 questions, right? To get a sense of where am I at? How did I do today? The big book goes on to say, you know, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, which means this is not an opportunity to beat the living tar out of yourself or shame yourself, right? That's not what this is designed to do. Now, you can do that if you'd like, but I have found that there's no great utility in beating yourself up. You're, gonna, you're not going to have perfect days. The idea is not to have perfect days. Because that, why? Because that would diminish our usefulness to others. Uh, my greatest use to others is to show people, people that can relate and identify with another bozo, another imperfect human being that is, that is uh, endeavoring to walk, trudge this road, <laughs> right? Some days better than others. Peaceful in my abstinence. But some days, I just, it's unpredictable, right? And, um, you know, the big book goes on to say, you know, again, we, um, you know, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measure should be taken. So I follow that instruction. Now, call me geeky, call me goofy for doing that, but I follow these instructions precisely. The reason I do is I don't, I'm not looking to earn an A, plus for the day, nor am I looking, you know, to be honest, I'm not looking for your validation so I can tell you or show you that I do it. I'm doing it to improve my conscious contact with the higher power of my own understanding. I want to know every day, what is God's will for me? And God, grant me the power to carry that out. So that's why I follow these. It's not an ego thing for me that I need you to know that I do it. You know, I, I do it because my, and I, I have seen experientially that my life improves when I do that. I'm of greater use to other people, not everyone, but to many other people. So at night, um, all right, so, so, you know, here would be an example of what I find to be um, the utility of a nighttime review that I do. So let's say it's 5, you know, 5.30 in the morning, I get up, it's Tuesday, and I have a long line of things I need to do. You, you know, you've been there. Uh, you are there. 
And one of the first things I got to do is stop and get, uh, stop at the gas station to fill up the tank. So I run over to the gas station and I'm on a tight time constraint and I pull up to the pump and lo and behold, there's those little yellow plastic baggies all over the pump handles. Not a one of them is available. Not just one, all of them. But someone knew I'd be coming this morning. They woke up this morning. They wanted to ruin my day. And all of the pump handles have the yellow baggie on them, suggesting they're out of fuel for the day for Larry. And would it surprise you to know that all of the area gas stations were in cahoots with each other? They all called each other to put the yellow plastic baggie over the pump. And so by the time I get back home, I'm bothered. And I'm late for work. And I'm irritated at the universe. And just to assume for the, the purposes of this example, I have a partner. Right. And I know it's a stretch for anyone to believe that I the viability of that. But but anyway, let's presume that I, I, I have a partner who likes me and irritated as I am at the, at the, at the gas conspiracy in northern Illinois. Um, I, I lash out at my unsuspecting partner and she gets hit with some emotional shrapnel. Right. Um, you know, her car's in the way, the, you know, there's dishes in the sink. Who knows? I can find something, right? Now, on, average, on an average Tuesday, there, there may very well be 175 other minor irritations that will settle in throughout the day before I do my nightly inventory prayers. Now, it's very possible that if I don't take some time to do my 11-step nightly inventory, to take a, a, a good, hard look at my day, I'm going to completely forget what happened with my partner earlier in the morning. In fact, by that point, I, I probably have. But then I settle in quietly, perhaps with my notebook. Okay, um, let's see. I went to get gas. The yellow baggies came home. Oh, yeah, my partner with the dishes in the, in the sink in the car parked sideways. And they, oh, yeah. Wow, I, I was really kind of a, a weenie to that beautiful woman this morning. Hmm, interesting. All right, at this point, it, it might not be uncommon for me to go directly to my partner and make an amend, right? If, if that feels like the appropriate thing to do. But I do realize that what I don't get accountable for is destined to be repeated. I'm going to repeat what I don't hold myself accountable for. I will repeat that over and over again we stepped on the toes of others, and what did they do? Invariably, they retaliated, seemingly without provocation. Oh, you know, why you know, why, why did you just step on my big toe? And in many ways, this is the nature of human beings, certainly the nature of animals in general, right? So our second spiritual directive is doing a review of our behavior every evening. Our third spiritual directive is going to show up um, as we find out what to do in the mornings, every morning. So page 86, the second whole paragraph, it says, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. Then on 86, in the third full paragraph, it goes on to say, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision." We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. And then on page 87 in the big book, on the first full paragraph, it reads, We usually conclude the period of meditation 
with a prayer that we be shown all throughout the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. And what the book is talking about here is starting every day with prayer and meditation. So again, we're going to find out that every, that, you know, every morning comes with a directive to start the day with prayer and meditation. Now, that, that may sound complicated, and I, and, I, and I suppose a lot of people in OA may struggle with the notion of meditation. I know I did. So let, let's be clear about what meditation is. Prayer is the process of asking for God's will. We ask for God's will in prayer. Meditation is the process of listening for the answer. It's a, uh, it's a, a communicative process that I would suggest to anyone can be as organic as breathing. It's, it's kind of a two-way prayer. That's the idea. Now, I know that there are many different ways to meditate, many different ways to prayer. I mean, I'll make some suggestions just based on my experience, but, but that's, that's up to you. There are, I'm sure there are people on the line and certainly people in program that are very advanced, if you will, using that term loosely, meditators. They've spent uh, you know, years and years in, 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 in developing uh, uh, different ways to meditate that work for them and others that have a deep, deeply profound prayer life. And that's great. That's great. And that's not to say that if you pray and do not meditate, it's useless. But the utility of it will certainly be lessened in that if you pray, thy will, not mine, be done, for example, God's will will be available to you. But if you don't meditate and create some room, some space, you know, to have God's will enter you, then, then you're going to spend a day with God's will available to you, but just not necessarily feeling it, you know, which kind of betrays the point of step 11. So now let's be clear about something. I don't have to be on step 11 to pray, right? I've yet to meet a person who prays too early or, or someone who prays too often. But when we're on steps 10, 11, and 12, this becomes an active directive now. So now here's the suggestion, and it's merely a suggestion, right? Take what you want, leave the rest. So here comes uh, something you can take or leave. For a five-minute prayer and meditation commitment for you to do every morning, that's the suggestion, not a directive, just a suggestion. One way to do it, and and I think it's fairly user-friendly, Every morning upon awakening, now that means, you know, before you, you, you take the blankets off, before you, you, your, your, your feet hit the floor, before you enter your remarkably imperfect day like mine, consider connecting to your spiritual life. Th- that's the idea upon awakening. The first thing, you know, we're going to do is pray. And my recommendation or suggestion to you is the third step declaration. Some call it the third step prayer. You know, the third step declaration the seven-step prayer, and the 11-step prayer. Third step, seven-step, and 11-step. Third-step declaration is on page 63 in the big book. You may call it the third-step prayer, page 63. The seven-step prayer is on page 76, I believe. And the 11-step prayer you'll actually find in the AA 12 and 12. 
in the AA 12 and 12, that, that blue book on page 99. The 11-step prayer is found on 99. Again, just a suggestion. This isn't a directive that's laid out in the big book. It's just a, something that I do. And on page 99, it, it also, the 11-step prayer is maybe referred to as the St. Francis prayer. If you have access to the Internet, the computer, Google St. Francis prayer, and you, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. And, that, and that's just a suggestion. My recommendation is, you know, open up a Word document on your computer and consider cutting and pasting 3, 7, and 11 on one page. Print it out. Put it on your bedside, you know, the side table next to your bed. And in the morning upon awakening, just merely read those three prayers. I mean, you're talking two minutes tops. And once you've done that, consider meditating for three minutes. And I, and I would recommend you time it. You know, use your phone timer. If you don't know how to use it, uh, ask someone young. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you how to use your phone timer. Take three minutes, set the volume low, because you don't want to, you know, come out of a meditation startled with, you know, loud noises or heavy metal music, right? Something mellow, just a, a mellow tone, and so that you know when your three minutes is up. Set, set a timer. And as the three minutes begins, breathe normally, you know, close your eyes, and pay attention to your thoughts. That's it. And for the duration of those three minutes, sit in one place, you know, let your body be comfortable, breathe normally, no expectations, close your eyes, and, and pay attention to your thoughts. Just listen to your mind. Now, no matter what's going on, it doesn't matter. If you've never meditated before, and, and if you could work it out where you actually have three minutes and, and, and all you hear is, is you know, angels singing, that, that's great. That's great. But the chances of that are unbelievably minimal. <laughs> That's been my experience, right? Um, awesome nonetheless, but minimal. Chances are much better that what you'll find over the course of those three minutes is that it's kind of loud up, up in our mind. And there's a lot of different thoughts about a lot of different stuff fighting for attention. Some of those thoughts can be selfish for me. Some of, you know, some of them are empathic. Some of them are scary. Some of them are pleasant. It doesn't matter. When the three minutes is up, I promise you, you've meditated. Every morning you spend two minutes on the three prayers, three minutes meditating. That's five minutes total. Boy, oh boy, what I can eat and eat in five minutes, what I have for you know decades that I could eat in five minutes, you know, you, you wouldn't believe. Well, yeah, you would. I could take five minutes for the three prayers and uh, or excuse me, the, the two minutes for the three prayers and three minutes for meditation. That's five minutes. You do that every day. Probably I would suggest to you by day 15, 16, maybe day 30, you're gonna feel different than when you started. You're going to feel different than when you started. Now, that's, that's my promise to you based on my experience. So now we've got three spiritual directives, regular 10 steps, spiritual review in the evening, prayer and meditation in the morning. Now, here's the thing about starting your day with prayer and meditation and closing your day with a spiritual review. It's what we call, you know, frame, what I call framing our day with prayer. 
and, and, and it is. It's miraculous and, it, and it's powerful. Although it's all the hours between the times of prayer when we're outside amongst the, the human race, right, <laughs> which is when all the challenges tend to happen when all the nonsense happens. So if I find myself really disturbed at my coworker at 9 a.m., it's not necessarily going to be prudent for me to tell myself, well, I'm praying at about 12 hours from now, so yeah, I should be fine. You know, I need some help as the day goes along. And the book, the big book is going to cover that as well, right? Page 87, uh, it's going to going on to 88. The third paragraph on 87, uh, third paragraph on 87, it starts, because uh, uh, here's our, uh, our daily directives, and it's going to talk about as we go through the day. Let me get to my page here. So as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the next right action. We pause when agitated and doubtful. We ask for the next, next right action. That's my shorthand kind of 11-step prayer during the day. So if I'm driving on the highway and someone cuts me off and I'm enraged, and this is not necessarily a time when I can do a three-minute meditation, you know, or, or ask myself a series of 10 questions, right, this is the point perhaps in which I'll wait to get to a red light I'll close my eyes for just a brief second and just say, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And it's going to remind me to breathe. It's going to, you know, going through that process, it's going to remind me to turn it over. It's going to remind me that Larry's self-will doesn't run the show. And we do that multiple times each day. We pause when agitated. We pray, and then we proceed. I heard someone refer to as the three Ps, pause, pray, and proceed. That's essentially what the instructions are telling us to do. That's our fourth spiritual directive, um, staying in touch with God as the day goes along. And if you don't want to use, you know, thy will be done, you know, use the serenity prayer or God be with me or find some. I mean, that's your choice, right? But that's how we're going to stay in touch with our higher power as the day proceeds. It goes on to say we are in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions, we become much more efficient. And, and I want to draw your attention. It's a really powerful word, efficient, efficiency, right? The thing about a human being is every human being has a limited amount of energy in a given day. I mean, you, you've all had this experience, I'm sure. At some point where it's like 7 p.m., 7 o'clock, and you sit, on, on, sit down on the couch for a minute, and the next thing you know, you wake up still in your clothes, right? What is that? Well, that's your body letting you know that at 7 p.m., we're done. <laughs> I don't care if you have more to do. We're closing shop. We're done. You're out of energy today. So you have a given amount of energy in a given day. And if that's true, then how you utilize that energy, how you disperse that energy is, is going to be fundamentally important. I mean, think of the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. If I'm pouring a bunch of my energy into things I can't change, then of course I'm going to be spinning my wheels. I may not have the energy I need to change the things I can. 
And that's why the key to the prayer is the wisdom to know the difference. I need to be able to discern the difference between that bucket of things I have control over, which is like a little thimble, pretty small bucket, and that huge, huge bucket of things that I don't have things that, I, that are outside of my control. God, help me to understand what I have power over and what I don't. In other words, what deserves my energy, God, and what doesn't. For example, if I had the power to fix your spiritual malady, you know, manifested in, in compulsive eating and the unmanageability stuff and all that, then by all means, I should chase after you and spend my limited human energy in effectuating that change rather than just drawing your attention to the solution, which is the instructions for working the steps. See, but I don't possess that power. Lack of power, that was my dilemma. It still is my dilemma. There's things I don't have power over. It wasn't just the food. There was, there was more meaning to that lack of power. I still lack power. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to close with this as we get um, towards the end here. Burning up all of our energy, worrying about things I cannot control, depleting our energy is the very definition of unmanageability. Our fifth spiritual directive is to carry this message to the still suffering compulsive reader. Now, we're not talking about step 12, but I do want, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, that's what the 12th step is all about, working with others, right? It's exactly what I'm doing right now. However ineffective, <laughs> it, doesn't, you know, it may be very ineffective for some. You may have lost a bunch of people. That's okay. I am trying. I'm endeavoring to be of service, maximum service to God and to those about me. How miraculous is that? It works. Step 12 is the only step in the big book that has an entire chapter devoted to it, chapter 7. So I'm going to relate that statement to my step 11. Even though I'm sharing with you about the 11th step this morning, the proportion of the, or the, you know, the amount of time I devote to step 12 is in proportion to the length of that chapter. I'm not diminishing prayer and meditation. But if you followed me around and you were a bug on the wall, and yes, I'm a father, I have work, I have a profession, I have obligations as we all do. But if you followed me around, you would see a person who is imperfectly carrying this message. It is, uh, uh, that's where the greatest proportion of my time is devoted to. Um, it used to be a lot of foxhole prayers of what I needed and what I wanted and what God directives to God. Today, the most spiritual thing that I do is carry the message imperfectly. So with that, I pass, Melanie. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much. And Endeavor, you did appreciate that. It was so very helpful, that teaching on Step 11. It's such an anecdote, you know, for the condition that we indeed would rather not have. And all those experiences that you gave for sure included, you know, such a great support of why this particular practice is vital and critical to our recovery each and every day. Thanks a lot, Larry. Appreciate that very much grateful to be happening in our archives. So, just want to let people know that we will ask Larry for his um, contact information at the end of this recording. So stay tuned for that. You'll hear that later on, but it won't be during the recorded time. 
It is now time to open up the lines for questions. If you have a question for Larry, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad, and then please offer your name and the first letter of your last name. Once you've asked your question, if you would please then press star one again immediately to remute your line for the quietness of the recording that we have going on right now. So it's open for questions. Who would like to ask Larry a question? Margaret D. Gradually becomes a working part of the mind. 
being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So with regard to your question, yes, I am still powerless of myself. And if you think about the serenity prayer, so we come in and we hear, you know, we're powerless over food. Our lives become unmanageable. And I think for me, that took on such a solidified meaning with respect to the food that I lost for a time the understanding that I'm powerless over many things. The serenity prayer, you know, thy will be done, God. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. When I pray those things, it's with it the acknowledgement that I am powerless. It is with gratitude, as you said, for God's gift to me. And I have found, which the promises, uh, you know, the 11-step the promises here tell us, that more and more I trust in my intuition. But I am not ego-driven to, in the sense that I think that anything that pops into Larry's skull is of God. Right? I sit with it. I pause. I practice pausing. Because there was a time that what came into Larry's head that made perfect sense for me, just a silly example, but a but a but a powerful example, was a uh a pound bag of Hershey's kisses was exactly and precisely what I needed. It made sense to me, it tasted good. It gave me energy. It just, it seems a very rational thing to do, and yet I was killing myself. I'll give you another example that doesn't involve substances. In my unrecovered state, this is just me suggesting, okay, in my unrecovered state, but in a way, and losing weight, and being stark raving sober, stark raving abstinent, I would have an intuitive thought. I think I'd look back as a very ego-driven thought that I could, I could, you know, really help this person, you know, um, that I could, and I, I could not, Margaret, give away what I didn't have. I had not completed the process. I had not begun to experience that internal spiritual shift where all ideas, attitudes, and emotions were supplanted by new ideas, new attitudes, new emotions. And I, um, so there, it's very paradoxical in that you know, not every thought, you know, sometimes I have a thought that comes into my head that to, to text someone and give them a what for. But I somehow, if I pause and I pray about it and I'm, you know, and I look at my own resentment and my own fears, you know, I may, not always, but I may come to a different conclusion. And at the very least, I, I am a better man because I'm accepting of that person. And I'm expressing love and tolerance. You know, that's, that's, and that works for me. If it doesn't work for other people and, 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 and reaching out and tearing people up is working for you, by all means, keep doing it. If it's working for you, keep doing it. If it's making you a better, more loving, kind uh, person, keep doing it. But for me, I found that it was, it was making me less of a person. And, and, I, and I got a sense that that wasn't where God wanted me to be or to stay. I got that very clearly. So I try to do better, try to do better. I hope that helps, Margaret. Thanks so much, Margaret, for your question. Appreciate that. Aliyah S. is next, and then Jackie will have her question after Aliyah. 
Hi, Alie. Star one, please. Yeah. Thank you so much, Larry. Your um, your your share inspired me so much, and it really got me grounded on the floor, and it was truly amazing. Thank you so much. I my question is, how do you define your abstinence, and do you work with the food plan? How do you manage your food now that you're recovered? Thank you, Elia. Hey, that that's a great question. So um, I separate. I think Kim does a real good job with this, but there's been others too. And like me, she stole this from someone else probably, which is from OA, which is, um, but she does a great job of articulating this. Um, so I'm going to botch it up. But my, my, my abstinence is different than my food plan. I had to understand that. My abstinence is what I refrain from. It's the, it's the substances Yes, it's the behaviors that I refrain. It's merely what I refrain from by definition. Okay, and I refrain from my alcoholic substances and, and, and for some, let, let's call it alcoholic behaviors, that uh, when we engage in those substances and engage in those behaviors, our desire for more of those substances and, substances and behaviors are not satisfied. They are amplified. So my abstinence is I refrain from those things 100%. My food plan is different in that it, it, there's a variety of things that do not trigger the phenomenon of craving. So some days it's broccoli, some days it's green beans, some days it's apple. I'm just giving you an example. I'm not saying that you know, I can't have more. But, but but I'm just not eating any of the substances or engaging any of the behaviors that trigger that phenomenon of craving. And I'm able to do so happily because I don't want those foods anymore. I don't want those behaviors anymore. I literally do not want them. I'm not fighting them because God removed the obsession. The steps treat the obsession. So my food plan involves lots of varieties of different things. I do happen to weigh and measure things, but not everything at this point. Um, I hasten to talk, I don't like to talk too much about food and here's why. I think that uh, it's a personal thing. It's a very personal thing. I came into program, I'll be brief. I came into program and I saw a person, they said, find a person that has what you wanted. And I found a thin guy and he spoke like a, you know, he looked like a million bucks and he spoke and he, and he, he just had all the, he had the goods. And I want it. And, I, and so in my mind, new and program without a more thorough and deeper understanding of the spiritual malady and, and the solution, which would be access to power, being brought into alignment with my higher power as the result of the steps, all I wanted was his food plan. I was very comparative in my ego-driven behavior. I was very comparative. And I thought if I could just eat the way he eats, I will begin to act and feel the way he seems to act and feel. And I endeavored to do that. And he was a very kind and gracious person. And when I asked him, manipulated, oh, did I say that? When I, when I manipulated him to send me his food plan, um, I believe he was practicing the principles of, and he was not trying to manage me or anything. And he sent me what he ate because I asked very specifically, uh, I'll call him, Joe, Joe, would you send me exactly what you eat, the amounts? And he did. And I tried to eat that way. And I could never eat that way because I had not had a complete spiritual awakening sufficient to eradicate the obsession. So when I began to try to eat the way he ate, 
which again was probably somewhat similar to the way I eat now. Um, I was holding my breath underwater. I had not recovered. I had not worked the steps to bring about a spiritual awakening that God brings about. So I began, I became restless, irritable, and discontent. I was holding my breath underwater. Eventually I had to come up for air and then I felt like a failure. So I gave you much more than you wanted there, but yes, I have abstinence. We need to distinguish that from the doctor's opinion, the, the, the problem, abstinence versus a food plan. Call Kim. Everyone call Kim and Ruth <laughs> and others. <laughs> She'll love that, right? Ruth, yeah, call, get their numbers, call them. Everybody online, call them. Inundate them. All right, I hope that helps. <laughs> Thank you, Ali. As for your question, Jackie H., it's time for your question, please, and then Kim will come after you. Good morning. This is Jackie H., recovered in Colorado. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and thank you, thank you, Larry, for your share. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely love the simplicity that you presented, and probably there are a lot of people like me. I have a tendency to complicate and to make things very difficult. And, um, and also, I have, and I still do once in a while, make my morning and my evening, um, I have a harder time with the evening than I do the morning. But my morning um, routine is way, way longer and way more complicated than you presented this morning. And I sometimes make it my God, if you know what I'm trying to say here. And so I, would you talk about that? Um, how, 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 and, and it, it totally negates what the whole thing is, because then we're, we have another ego-driven thing that we're doing in program, so we can, quote, get an A, like you said. But if that makes any sense, if you would just Talk about that a little bit. Of course, Jackie. I, yeah, I will. And I and I I'm I'm so much like you that way too. I really, really uh, felt that my problem was so complex and so pervasive, and s there was such unmanageability at times that it would take uh, some sort of you know vast algebraic equation this was calculus i was a math avoider but i i would need to learn the calculus because it would a comp a complex problem in my eyes would only be give way to a complex solution and although i didn't think about it that much that my actions would have suggested to anyone that that was how i was approaching the program we do hear that the the, the program of action is simple but not easy Right? There are many things that are simple, but not easy. And this is one of them. Starting with putting the food down, well, that's kind of the ticket in the door. That's sure in the heck is not easy. But then um, for people like us, there are many um, people like us, Jackie, that are, are, are perfectionists in many ways. Now keep in mind, if you saw my house today as I'm walking around, I, you would clearly get the notion that I am not a perfectionist in the manner in which I keep my house clean. Now I'm not suggesting that there are bugs crawling around at all. I'm just suggesting that that has never been my thing so much. I live in my head a lot of the time and thus I miss stuff right in front of my face, okay? So that is not where I, my perfectionism shows it rears its ugly head so much for me. 
right? The towels don't have to be at the, you know, it's a certain way and then this and the that. And the, if there's some laundry on top of the dryer, I know someone's cringing right now. They're like, well, what? Mary Kate, you don't, do, you don't fold your laundry right away. That's okay. That's not me. And, and usually it, it, it finds its way into a drawer. But, but I, am, I am a perfectionist with concepts and ideas, and God has changed me in that way, you know? There's a simplicity today, and, and I strive, Jackie, for greater God has shown me. Remember, through prayer and meditation, I'm trying to improve my conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for, for us and the power to carry that out. So what is it in me? that I want to earn an A plus, and if you just do a, you know, the, seven, the third step, seven step prayer, 11 step prayer, and, and let's say three minutes of meditation, and, and I'm not saying that's the magic ticket by any means, I'm just for someone new or whatever, that's fine. Why is it that I have to strive for more? Why is more better? I have learned that less in many respects is more. And last quick example, some. I thought when I started sponsoring, more is more, more Larry, more directives, more, because that fed me, and I didn't want to let them down, and blah, 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 blah. You know what's better? This is just my opinion. Less Larry is more. Now, I do share, (laughs) because carrying the message, I probably share too much, I'll be the first to admit. Um, but I, I, it keeps me sober, and I try to be of service to, you know, to folks. But, but what I'm talking more about is, is a simple message, you know, repetition, not complexity. This, this, anyone can have this deal. So I, I hope that helps Jackie a bit. Let go and Thank let God, so right? Much. Sure. Thank you, Jackie, for your question. Appreciate that. And Kim L., you're next, and then Barbara P. will follow you. Hi, Kim. Good morning to you. Hi. Good morning. This is Kim L. I'm grateful to be in recovery. I'm very grateful to hear your share this morning, Larry. Um, Thank you. It's really kind of funny. I was chuckling as I was listening to your story about your coworker because this morning before I got on the meeting, um, I prayed, meditated, and journaled about a work situation. So it's kind of funny. Is it God or is it odd? Um, I guess... I, from what I've gathered over the last couple of years in, in recovery, I have a very hard time discerning God's will from my will. And um, I seem to have a, I'm a very black and white person and have a really hard time with the gray areas. And when it comes to fairness, um, I, I seem to want everything, I think everything should be equal. And it's not just in work situations, but it's with an ex-husband. It could be with, um, you know, everybody in my house. I don't want to be the one who's doing more than everybody else. So after going through the whole process of praying and meditating, and how do you determine, okay, I know it's about what God wants me to be, but how do you determine what your next step would be without falling into the victim mentality. I'm a big victim. Like, look at all this stuff that I'm doing versus you're only doing half of this. And we should, it should be equal. It should be fair. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Because I'm, um, I have a hard time discerning a, a between, you know, do I take one for the team and just keep on doing more or, with, or do I speak up? But how do, how do I do that without being a pushover? 
but again, discerning what God's will is. So I'm going to mute and um, thank you very much. Yeah, I, what I can add to, I don't, I don't have uh, um, a clear answer on that, but I can tell you I have some thoughts about it. Um, so I talked about less is more, you know, uh, the simplicity of the program, letting go and letting God. I no longer have the expectation that God is going to be speaking to me at all times through my intuition. I just come to rely upon it. When I, when I ask God for, um, you know, knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out, because I, I, I accept that God either is or God isn't, I make, an, I make a presumption. And that presumption is that God will um, answer that. Now, it may not be the answer that I'm, you know, that follows my script, or, nor may it come in the timing that I want. But I have found that when I just relax, a lot of these things that we see, is, you know, the relax, take it easy, I have found I, I'm better able as time goes on to relax and take it easy, to recognize, to drop the expectation that God will speaking to me, be speaking to me at all times. And that when I pause and pray, even for difficult situations, ones that are bothering me, when I pause and I pray, I can indeed proceed. Let's presume that I proceed in a way that proves to be, I don't know for sure, because I, I don't know the ways of God, but let's just say in the short run, oh, that, that was, shouldn't have gone that way. Shouldn't have taken a left. I should have gone right as I do a review later. That's okay. God, what I have found is that the God of my understanding can take something seemingly, you know, that's had a negative consequence and turn it around. Maybe it's something that I learned from. Maybe there's something that I cannot see and, and fully understand how God will use that. The, the God of my understand, understanding is omnipotent everywhere can understand everything i cannot you know i cannot so i think what's happened for me is over time in program and i have not arrived nor will i ever arrive there's no self-actualization here we don't arrive at that we just endeavor to get better to get a uh, to operate on a clear channel in our connection with god and just to accept that i'm, I'm not going to always have the answers and I have learned to be okay with that. I don't know. I can't tell you the day that that happened. I can tell you my abstinence state, but I can't tell you the day that I, you know, that I dropped the rock. That's the title of a book, right? But dropped the rock of needing to always be sure. It was my uncertainty in myself, and I lacked confidence in my own decision-making and my own processing of information and over time there did come a day when I got a little bit more comfortable with that and that has that has uh, evolved as well so I hope that gives you some hope um, because that's I felt exactly the same way that you did for a long time the way you do so I, I, I hope that I hope that helps a little bit Thanks so much, Kim L for your question Barbara P you're next and then Judith will follow you. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. This is Barbara P. Thanks so much, Larry, for your service. Um, question for you. You pointed out the 11th instruction, and I, I love how you made this so clear. 
and I, I do my nightly review. This is what it refers to. But it says, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. And I think I have conveniently left that part out. I really struggle with um, this concept of God's forgiveness. It just doesn't fit my concept of God. So I guess I would just ask for any suggestions of how, because I don't want to leave out any of this, and I'm I'm more than happy to ask about corrective measures. I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts. If you had a sponsee or someone struggling with that, uh, with that forgiveness piece, what, what would you recommend or suggest? Yeah, I, I, no, that's a great question. And I, I, I really, um, not, not to suggest that I have anything profound to say about that other than the 11th step prayer, this St. Francis, uh, which is not part of my, you know, that, that may have a, a biblical, you know, maybe even a religious orientation, but that's not the way I read it in the, um, in the chip, but I love the sentiment and I love the words and I do have a higher power that I call God. And the 11th step prayer helps me a bit with, um, with that whole notion of asking for forgiveness because it really sets the foundation of how all these prayers, they don't, when I say them, they don't always come with, with deep, profound feeling. Uh, sometimes they do more so than others, but it's just kind of like brushing my teeth. When I say that, it's not to diminish their importance at all. It sets, sets things out right, uh, whether it's in the evening or, or the morning. So I'm just going to, I just, the 11th step prayer was helpful to me. Uh, as it reads on page 99, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony, and where there is error, I may uh, let's see, or I may bring forgiveness, and where there is discord, I may bring harmony, and where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light, and where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant me that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is in giving, well, for this, this reads, for it is, in, it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven. I want to read that again. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. And, um, that part, you know, when I read that, and I sometimes I concentrate on one particular line a little bit more, and that one, it's hard for me. Um, I, I find for me the best way to feel a sense of being forgiven because I am, call, call it what you want, I'm an imperfect person, I'm a sinner, I'm a, whatever term is palatable to you, we all get the idea. I am a person that's, that's going to do wrong at times. There's going to be dishonesty at times. There's going to be fears. There's going to be resentments. There's going to be um, selfishness and, and self-seeking behaviors at times. But when I have found the best way, it's kind of like, so the best way for me to feel that sense of being uh, forgiven is when I forgive. And when I forgive, it's, for example, it is easy for me to forgive my daughter. I don't even have to try. 
that's an unconditional love that I never quite understood until, you know, she kind of showed up in the world. And then I understood unconditional love, right? Everything else seemed somewhat conditional in my experience. So it is easy to forgive her if there's been a transgression of some kind, right? Love, you know, I, I can love her unconditionally, but not like the behavior. It is far more difficult for me to forgive, and I use this term loosely, an enemy. You know, someone who has really stepped on my toes, and it's not my daughter. <laughs> so, you know, it is hard. And so I, you know, I pray for them, not from a place of, you know, those poor, unfortunate souls, but just, just a sincere prayer for them that they, I like the idea of praying for them for all the things that I, that I want for myself. And I do that continually. And, and, and eventually, I feel worthy of being forgiven. So it's the enemies, if you will, to use, again, that term loosely. Uh, the people that don't deserve, I can't tell you the number of sponsees that I've had that I just share my experience. It's the biggies. It's the big ones that don't necessarily, quote, unquote, deserve to be forgiven. Those are the ones that I, that I try to endeavor to forgive. And maybe I even act as if in the beginning, but it just comes. So that, that would be something that I could share. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Barbara P., for your question. Judith R., your question. And then Julia E. will come in after you, and then we'll open it up for some more questions. Hi, Judith. Good morning. Hey, Mel. Thanks so much. Larry, thank you very much. I love the way you integrated 10 and 12 also. Um, my question is that I think you are sort of defining meditation um, the way that Herb K. does so that he differentiates between contemplation and meditation. And since most of us in this society are taught that meditation means clearing your mind, I was glad that you didn't go with that definition. So I'm just wondering if you also make that, think the same way that Herb K. does and then call meditation um, listening and contemplation clearing your mind. Yeah, I, I, I may have heard it from Herb K. I don't know. I've stolen so many things from so many great teachers that I, I don't know who, you know, I'm such a thief when it comes to this program. I don't know who I got from what, but but it sounds good to me. I, I remember hearing him in, in L.A. I just, I know for me, um, yeah, meditation. I think what happens for, for those that haven't engaged in it as much, which was me, and because I always thought I'm not doing this right because I'm not getting the feeling that I want, the feeling of peace, the feeling of love, the feeling of this, the feeling of that, that I, again, as most things, Judith, I complicated the heck out of it. And I set a bar for what meditation should be. And then I searched for evidence from quote unquote experts that supported me in what I was lacking. So I searched for people that said, you know, meditation is this. It's a very specific thing. And you, you practice this. And, 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 you know, there are people on this line and others that do practice those forms of meditation. And they've been very helpful. And I do not knock it. I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to, pr to practice meditation. But to your point, um, I do believe in simplicity. And so starting out for someone, I don't care if they've been in program for, you know, 50 years, but they really, in their heart of hearts, know they really haven't spent much time meditation. Or someone brand new on this line, is, or, or someone that's got, 
like so many people with the new diagnosis, not new, but ADD and ADHD, they can't concentrate for two minutes and then they start meditating and maybe just, you know, paying attention to their thoughts, which there's so much monkey chatter that they feel bad about themselves. And I am the first here to tell you, time it for three minutes. Yes, let all those thoughts come. Yeah, get bombarded. That's fine. You've meditated. Do it for, you know, there's no magic, 16 days, 15, 30. But I will tell you my experience that over time it's gotten better. Um, I'm much better at brushing my teeth today than I was when I was five. So too with meditation, right? We just keep it simple and, uh, and then we get better at it. We practice it and we begin to change. We begin to listen. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Judith. Thanks, Judith R., for your question. Julia E., it's your turn. Star one, please. And then after Julia, after Julia we'll open it up again for a few more questions. Thanks so much, Melanie. Um, and thanks, Larry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so much laughter and um, mm -hmm. the message of the simplicity of, of you know, on, on 10, 11, and 12. I really appreciated that um, because I'm definitely one uh, that can complicate things. And it's like, oh, my gosh. For my nightly review, um, just wanted to ask a question about that. So here's what happens. <laughs> I, con I basically justify and rationalize my way out of it. Oh, it's between me and God. I don't need to take this to my sponsor or another fellow. Um, I also justify and rationalize like the event that took place. Oh, my husband and I got an argument. He said this, and I said that. Then it's like I'm going back to, like, when we first met. You know, it's just like um, I guess I get lost a lot, and um, I start believing my own lies, and um, I, I can't differentiate the truth from the false. Um, and then I don't take the initiative to clean up the wreckage. And so, um, yeah, I guess, you know, that monkey um, chatter or that, um, mimicky voice disease, you know, how it can like tit for tat and just, um, I'm trying to quiet that and I definitely will, um, will begin this. And then also the trusting that this too, you know, will go like meditation time, that it can go from my head to heart, the prayers, that it doesn't have to be wrote, but it can actually me being living out God's words in daily life and not intellectualizing it so much. So um, I don't know if there's a question in there, but <laughs> or I, I just uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think really, you know, um, trusting the process and uh, yeah, I'll just turn it back to you. Thanks so much. I, yeah. I oh, oh, Julia. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, that, I'll just, just a point of identification with what you said. Um, so I, uh, you know, with the meditation, I meditated for, I don't know, maybe it was five minutes before before um, I was going to speak here. And so I, I would love to tell you that I, oh, it was just the most peaceful, calming thing. That's, that's not what happened. Um, I do it anyway. Um, I was bombarded with thoughts of, oh, uh, you know, and I set a timer. Oh, you, you better, I hope you know, the, your, your headset works fine. I, you know, I don't know, is Mel or Leia, you know, who's going to be on? Are they going to be 
searching for me? Am I going to fall asleep? <laughs> like that wasn't going to happen. All sorts of thoughts, but I did anyways. It was just counting breaths and paying attention to those thoughts. I was like an outside observer, just kind of observing as the thoughts came in and you know trying to push them aside. Of course, my heart's beating a little bit. Uh, why wouldn't it be? I'm going to be presenting here and you know, so it, that's okay. I have an acceptance of that. There is no right or wrong with it. I do it anyway. And sometimes I meditate and I fall asleep, you know, and that's okay too. With, with regard to, you know, reviewing our, uh, at night, um, I just, I try to detach emotionally as best I can. Uh, sometimes there's going to be stuff that, com- that comes up through the day that it's just hard to detach. I can't make that happen. I can't, anything that I'm trying to force, I'm, I'm trying to control. But I just do it anyway and, and, and just move on. You know, I don't stay stuck in those places. So, yeah, I'm just identifying in with you on that, uh, Julia. Thanks so much, Julia E. So now it's open again for additional people to ask questions. And this will be the final invitation to ask a question this morning. So. Kathleen. Marcella. Marcella. Anne Marie, Marcella, Nadia, Anne Marie, Cindy D, Ed M, Cindy D. I'm sorry, did I hear an Ed or somebody like that? Yes. Okay, great. And Darlene H. Darlene H. Did you hear Anne Marie M? I did. Thank you. Look back at my list. I did get Anne Marie. Jackie R. I did get Kathleen. What's the first initial of your last Abby name? Abby B. Kathleen? Abby P. Ladies, ladies, just a second, please. I'm going to get Kathleen's last initial. Go ahead. T. T. As in Tom. Great. Thank you so much. And then I think Jack- I did hear Abby B. And I did get Jackie oh. R. Thank I did you. get Jackie R. Yeah. Susan H. H. Okay, that's great. So this is what I have. I have Kathleen T, Marcella M, Nadia B, Anne Marie M, Cindy D, Ed M, Darlene H, Jackie R, Abby B, and Susan H. So good morning again, Kathleen T. Your question, please, for Larry. Okay, I hope I'm unmuted. Uh, my question, Larry, is I heard you talking about abstinence and how you approached it in the beginning. I, When I first got into OA years ago, I was restricting and seriously knew I had a compulsion to overeat, but I was successful, right, in restricting because I had power from that. I'm now, this is 2018, that was two, 1985. I came back to OA in December, and I'm struggling with deciding what abstinence should be for me. I have, I know sugar is a big deal, but I don't want to be in a restrictive type of mentality, and I have given God my food, so I need to know, am I abstinent if I try out some food? that used to give me trouble, but only because I was restricting then and feeling deprived. I just don't know how to approach it and how to call myself abstinent or not abstinent because 
I'm still in a learning process. And I hope that makes sense. Thank you. It does. It does. The first thing I'm going to say, just for the interest of time, too, is that I would really, really recommend we have some fabulous special editions and the people behind those special editions, people like Kim G, people like Ruth, um, I think it's M. Um, I don't want to inundate Melanie. She's has proven to be really good with those types of things, too. Um, there's just so many good resources of people that can really lay out um, from the perspective of the big book, you know, starting with the doctor's opinion with the allergy. You know, um, I'm just going to be repeating what I said. If something, the allergy of the body is an abnormal physical reaction, it's, an ab it's not normal that when I ingest certain substances, um, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. When my daughter, oh, this is my daughter, she's not one of us in that regard. When she consumes whatever food substance, her desire for more becomes satisfied at a certain reasonable point. And then, you know how I know that? Because she stops eating and she stops paying attention. She leaves food on the plate and she doesn't, it's not like who's looking. She's not doing that you know, to, to send a message to someone that she's been that way when she was five and 23. Um, that is not the case for me. When I consume uh, my alcoholic substances and I had to figure out what those were. So I get what you're saying about a learning process. It takes a little bit of time, but let's not take forever. Let's not die in the research process. I hope that's not too strong of a statement, but the, I've seen people drop like flies, and, you know, researching for years. And then they're dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not to make light of it. But there are people that can lay that out. Now, that is, that is the, the allergy of the body. My desire for more becomes amplified, not satisfied. My desire for more when I pick up the substance becomes magnified. And sure, eventually I'll stop eating, but I want more. You know, and... And, 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 um, and so that's problematic, but that's not the, you know, the, the biggest problem. It's very problematic, but the biggest problem is the mental twist, that strange mental twist that even when you put your food down and you're not eating those alcoholic substances or behaviors, but we'll stick with substances here, for some reason there comes a point, a time. We've seen it in the chapter more about alcoholism. There's lots of experiences that you get a thought a bright idea that drives you back to the food again and thus you are eliciting, bringing about that, um, that allergy is, becomes operative and that you repeat that cycle over and over again. So during the learning process, yeah, talk to people, listen to, you become a student. It's not one size fits all because I, you know, I've said I've never had one beautiful apple and when I got done, I'm jonesing for 10 more apples. In other words, I'm wanting like an Oreo cookie. I want the whole package. No, I don't get that way, but maybe you have. That's where you have to figure out what those things were for you because there, there are quantity issues for, for people too. So the best thing I can say is there's good special additions, given a couple already. Talk to other recovered people on the process that they went through to establish a food plan, which is different than 
your abstinence. Your abstinence is what you refer the substances you refrain from, but then your food plan is the variety of non-alcoholic foods that you eat and the amounts that you eat, which can be different for different people. So I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Kathleen T., for your question. Marcella M., you're next, and then Nadia will follow you. Hi, Marcella. Hi, Larry. Thank Hi. you for all you do. Um, Thank you for all you do. My question is, how do you prepare um, to lead a big book weekend? And when you do lead a big book weekend, do you have like a highly structured sketch that you follow, or do you flow with a group? And my second question is, I tell people in Spanish that uh, listening to the meeting is meditation. Am I making things up? And I'm excited to hear you. I hope that one of these days you'll come to Spanish-speaking countries and I'll translate simultaneously for you. Thank you, Larry. I would love it. I would love it. You're doing some wonderful things, Marcella. Thank you. Um, okay, so this is, I don't know how this is going to go over. When, the first time I did a big, uh, big book workshop meeting, well, I've had some really good teachers from afar. It's not that they mentored me. They, they didn't know they were mentoring me. I listened to people like Harlan. I heard, you know, when Leah was doing this sort of thing, I heard these speakers and I, there was something, you know, about the way in which they presented the big book and, and many others. I know there's lots of people that have done those things. And I listened to the likes of Joe and Charlie that were, you know, and, 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 and many other people, um, too many to count. Um, and then sort of had my own style. But here's the thing. It's not our, you know, it's we are just carrying the message from the big book. So my preparation started out uh, very meticulous. And, um, and I, I think it went over okay, you know, for a big book workshop, because I had been a teacher and so meaning, just meaning that, that I was comfortable in front of a group and presenting information, okay, but, but this is different in the sense that this is all based on my personal experience in following the instructions in the big book. So I don't even need all the answers. They're right there in the big book and we can learn together. So now the way I do it, Marcella, um, I'm not recommending it for anyone. Now, keep in mind when I say this, the groups that I've gone to do this, they put tremendous preparation and they all have their own desires. But my only thing is that we, I, I'm not going to present something that's not big book focused, be, not because I'm a stickler with that, but because that's the only thing that got me well. So if they are, I say respectfully, if they're looking for something else, then there's plenty of people that you know can carry a different message. My message is going to be embedded in and centered in the spiritual foundation of, of the big book instructions. So now, Marcella, here's, okay, here's my caveat. <laughs> this is just my truth. I don't prepare at all. I swear to you that I go with the big book. Now, we, when I say this, we, we, as, as we, right now there's a bunch of people in Oklahoma City that are like, what, 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 are, we, what are we signing up for next weekend? Um, but it'll be fine. Um, God speaks through me, and, um, and, and I bring the big book, and we definitely have a, a flow to it, right? We go through each step. Some groups, like this weekend, it's just going to be a Friday night and all day Saturday. Some, you know, it could, it could be a Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. But I do not go with notes. I do not go, and I just share. We speak the language of the heart. We, it's not the Larry show. By any means, I swear to you that that's not what's in my heart. 
Um, but you know what? There were people like Harlan and others. You know, we hear names. We are not uh, driven by personalities, right? We are principles and the big book first. But there are people that have certain talents for carrying that message that were, it was like a symphony for me, and it made a difference. It wasn't just an entertaining thing, Marcella. That wasn't the whole thing, okay? Because if you entertain someone or you're a speaker that can carry a message and speak extemporaneously and all that, that's great. But if people aren't getting well uh, as the result of the work that they're going to do, then it's really for naught. But if one person, is willing to pick up that spiritual toolkit laid at their feet. Um, I'm good. So I, don't, I hope it's not too much of a disappointment that I don't do much preparation at all. However, the groups that prepare, you know, they definitely, oh, my God, they are the heroes. They are, and I, I mean that. They are the heroes. You know that, that these people, because I couldn't put together a birthday party in my own home, you know. So, um, so I don't know if that helps or if you're just completely and utterly disappointed. Um, as far as the meditation, I missed that part of it that you're telling. What was it, Marcella, again, about the meditation part that you, what you tell folks, if I could ask? I missed that part of the question. Thank you, Larry. No, I do exactly the same. I don't prepare. So no, I'm really sure. I'm really sure. That question is like that. Um, I tell people in Spanish that listening to the meeting is meditation. And, and what do you think about it? Cause I, I'm, oh, yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. But absolutely. I, I, think, I think many things could be meditation. So, so my meditation, there are some things that I, and I even suggested today, you know, some things uh, you know, that people can do that haven't been doing any meditation or they have bad feelings about it. But the truth is, I do those sorts of meditations. I do some a little bit longer. I do walking meditations. I do um, guided meditations. I, I don't want to suggest that I, that's all this guy does. He's just Mr. Meditator. No, 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 no. Um, but I, I've done, I've engaged in a lot of those things, all helpful. Any, anything that brings me into closer conscious contact with God because I'm, I'm slowing down and I'm, 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 I'm endeavoring to listen. So on the meetings, absolutely, I feel the same way. It can be a form of meditation for people as well, uh, being participatory on the meeting. I'm, I'm right there with you. And thank you again for everything you're doing, Marcella. Thank you so much, Marcella, for your question. Nadia B., it's your question, and Anne-Marie will come in after you. Hi, Nadia. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. And Larry, what a pleasure to hear you. Um, I have a question partially. It was answered, I guess, um, in, a, in a previous question, whether meeting is a meditation practice. Um, for me, definitely was. But I have a question in um, whether, how, uh, in your experience, how important um, practices of prayer and meditation in the work of steps one through nine, and maybe if you could expand on that. Yeah, you bet. I, you know, the way I would say this is, uh, and thanks for the question, Nadia, is that I, I mean, I'm praying, I, praying. Uh, easy for me to say. I'm praying throughout the day. Now, it's not that every day is the same. Like I'm some sort of robot here. You know, none of us are. We're given. You know, God has given us free will. But I have found over time that I've relied on prayer more. When I came into this program, um, <clears throat> you know, I, prayer was just not a part of my life. It just wasn't a regular part of my life. It was only when things were really, really bad 
that it, it, it was interesting to observe that, boy, I would go to prayer when things were really, really, really bad, and I'm in tears in the fetal position, you know, oh boy, I'll bust out the prayer, or I'm having some panic uh, anxiety attacks and so forth, oh, the prayer may come. Today, it's not, not to suggest it doesn't come if I have traumas and tragedies and things, that's very natural, but prayer is just, uh, it's like, uh, I wear it like a loose garment. And so in steps one through, yeah, throughout all the steps, I'm working all the steps every day. I'm acknowledging my powerlessness and unmanageability to some extent every day. I am, you know, absolutely accepting that there is a power that's not me. You know, that is the solution to my problem, right? I'm making an affirmative declaration in that I say the third step prayer, <laughs> third step affirmative declaration, something we say out loud. I do that every day. If someone had you work every step every day, you, you bet. The fourth step, absolutely, you know, because there are going to be resentments and fears and harms done to others uh, that come up. And I'm going to sometimes do those more formally or I will handle that in a, in a more 10-step uh, instructional way. Um, and, and, and all of that is, so God is, God is not a part of my program a separate compartmentalized part of my program. The whole darn program is spiritually based for me. It has become that way. It wasn't always that way. There was a time where program was going to meetings, trying to hold my breath underwater, coming up with some other cockamamie food plan. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of prayer. Today, it's, it's embedded in everything that I do. So yes, one through nine, 10, 11, and 12, every single day, but it's not drudgery for me. Program is not what I do in my spare time. Program has become who I am, but it's not drudgery, nor is it hard today for me. Huh, okay, so that with that, I pass. Can I, can I uh, just adjust my question? Uh, where, do you, where do you start uh, with your sponsees, and do you pray with your sponsees? Do you encourage your sponsees to pray um, on starting on step one and meditate? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's a great question. So I, 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 I generally start in the doctor's opinion. However, if someone is, um, a lot of times I just trust in God to, to kind of speak to me intuitively. There are times intuitively that I know to get right there on the uh, flip over the front cover of the big book, right? And, and get in, you know, and, 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 you know, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered. You know, there are certain folks that I, that I feel, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, that we need to really go over that word recovered and to address it in the, the preface and um and but off, more often than not we will start in the doctor's opinion and i just trust that god will lead me to the right thing and we we go from there so um uh, was there another piece of that as well oh and, and prayer yeah prayer with them absolutely i have yet to meet someone because i i just kind of i do it every day you know or most days um i'll just i don't even Maybe it would be respectful to ask them. <laughs> I used to do that more. I just, if someone's calling me, um, you know, and usually it's a crisis type of thing, for me to just say, you know, do you mind if, I do say, do you mind if I just to say a quick prayer? I'll, I, and I, I joke, you know, I'll freeform it. You know, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And it might be like, you know, God, thank you for this time with Nadia. 
Maybe I've done it with you, Nadia. I don't know. Thank you for this time with Nadia. I pray that, you know, we're so grateful. I pray that you will guide Nadia and I towards um, having knowledge of your will for us and the power to carry that out. Please keep us divorced from self-pity, dishonesty, and self-seeking motives. If those words seem, you're like, boy, is that Larry, is he profound? It's all from the big book. It's all right there in the instructions in the big book. So I just kind of don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I will pray with other people. And here's what I found. I, I'm waiting, but no one has said, uh, don't you dare ever do that again. <laughs> you made me so uncomfortable that that was just a complete horror. And I would just admonish you never to try that again. I haven't run into that. Most people are pretty cool about it. So I hope that helps. It's gotten Thanks easier. So you bet. Thank you so much, Nadia. That's Nadia B. Anne-Marie M., you're up next with your question, please, and then Cindy D. Hi, Nadia. I'm so sorry. Anne-Marie. Perhaps star one on your own phone? Oh, yes, that would help. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you can hear me now? I can. Hi. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, thanks, Melanie, and Larry, thanks, and like others have already thanked you for um, explaining that the meditation doesn't have to be perfect, and uh, it's just very simple, and I, I like that idea of the um, two minutes with those three prayers and then just three minutes of, of quiet. So I want to thank you for that because I get um, really wrapped up about am I doing it right, and I talk to people how they do it, and maybe I should be doing it this way out of that. So anyway, thank you for that. Um, my question is, if you could explain or re-explain um, your daughter getting on a plane, and um, uh, he said you, you wouldn't pray, and maybe I misunderstood this, so um, you wouldn't pray that she wouldn't get in an accident. But then I just I just heard you explain to Nadia that you would pray that you know um God will guide you. So I just uh, you know um I I really working on detaching with my daughter and learn, wanting to pray uh for her praying for God's will, for me to accept God's will. So it sounded like you were very it sounded you like you were very comfortable um, with with the way that you um, were able to pray for her getting on the plane and or not praying or so anyway if you could explain that yeah yeah to, yeah, to yeah sure again. sure I'll, I'll, you, you bet I, no it's a good question I'll, I'll I'll try to draw a distinction my point with my example with my daughter is that again and and then I'll draw back to what I just said with Nadia uh, the prayer. Um, if you notice, I didn't now let's just say Nadia called me. She never would because her partnership with her husband is fabulous. So she would, she, she of all people would never have an issue with a partner. That only happens to me. Um, but let's just say for hypothetical sake, she did. You notice that I didn't pray, you know, for God help Nadia with, you know, this specific, you know, problem of about now, now the big book says we can pray for other people. And, and, and for ourselves, if 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 it is um, helpful to to someone else, but generally that we don't do that. Remember in step eleven, 
You know, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's what I prayed for. I think, if I recall, it's what I would do. That's what I uh, tried to convey with Nadia. God, thank you. Yeah, God, thank you for having the time with Nadia. We you know, are grateful. You know, pray that you will guide me and Nadia towards knowledge of your will for us and the power to carry that out. I think I was, it was along those lines, and that's what I meant to convey. I use the, the example with my daughter to suggest that I have many directives for God. I went, I went right there, didn't I? I went right there. To the, I mean, to the fear. Don't, don't we all have that if we have a child? Because, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm being honest. It's amazing. I could be honest today and say that that, that has occurred to me before. Oh, that could be the last time I see my daughter. I don't know where that thought comes from. Now, I will tell you, it's not an obsessive thought or a thought that, you know, I get in the car and I'm, and I'm, and I'm a blubbering idiot and I'm crying and so forth and all that. And then I'm, 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 you know, in the doldrums depressed for days until I talk to her. No, no, no. There's no anxiety and all that. I'm just saying the thought has occurred to me before. And I wanted to draw the distinction that my job is to pray for God's knowledge of the knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. And is not to give God a directive, even in the extreme things. I'm not suggesting it is bad. I said this, it is bad or wrong to pray for loved ones and for those things, you know, if, if that's helpful to us. Okay. I'm just saying that I generally err on the side of a pure simplicity and not praying for specific things and specific outcomes, however um, admirable or, 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 or even good those outcomes, I'm just no longer running the show. So I don't do that, not because, like, I, I, you know, I don't want to be put to the test, I said. You know, I, I would much rather not be put to the test of, um, of having to deal with that outcome. But I have learned over time, as best I can, that I am not going to give God directives, even ones that you, most people would agree are just fine. I just don't, I don't give God directives within all things. Help me to be of service to you. God, my main purpose is to be of maximum service to you and to those about me. Show me the way, you know, in the serenity prayer. Let me discern between the things, the bucket of things that I do control and the much larger bucket of things that I do not control. Um, so I, I, I hope that distinction helps a little bit. Thanks so much, Anne-Marie. For your question, Cindy D., you're up next, and then Ed M. will follow you. Thank you, Melanie. Hi, Larry. This is Cindy D. Um, in Texas, and I look forward to meeting you in Oklahoma City this weekend. Um, oh, good. I, um, just like many others, I very much appreciate the simplicity that you offered us around meditation because I'm someone who struggles with it. But my um, question is, in your introduction, you talked about sometimes the fear of you know, returning to our old ways or what I call the disease state can creep in and we need to stay patient through the fear and trust the process. And I, I agree with you. I think it's about surrendering. But what specific actions would you recommend to someone who calls you and says that they're struggling with that? Yeah, I, um, and, and I'll give very simple, specific things that I, again, um, stole from other people just because it made sense and I began to practice it. 
you know, the best message that I can send to anyone who's, who's, who's suffering in this disease, they were still into the food, they're still into the unmanageability, um, is uh, three specific things. Recover, recover, recover. In other words, it almost sounds too simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't want that. They want, they want directives. They want, you know, work the steps, follow the instructions. I'm here for you to, to, to help learn with you along the way. Every time I revisit this stuff, I learn something new. Um, but the sooner my experience has been, my personal experience has been, the sooner that I, in the midst of my suffering and unmanageability, that I put the food down, a hundred percent, and I embarked on this practical program of spiritual uh, recovery through these actions and these instructions, following these instructions to the best of my ability, precisely. I I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't want the food anymore, and I can't. I've come to a place of deeper acceptance in the midst of human. Foibles, right? In the midst of uh, tragedies, in the midst of challenges, work-related, family-related, it's not that the dust never gets kicked up. See, recover, being recovered today, to me, being recovered, being brought to that state of recovered, does not mean for me that the dust will never get kicked up. That someone won't. And 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 not only is that not my experience, but think about step ten. Step 10 is, is suggesting to us, first maintenance and growth step, is saying you are now recovered. If you follow these instructions, you are brought to the state of being recovered. And then it says, when, even, you know, despite the fact that you are in this recovered state, you're not suffering from uh, this, this disease where you, are, where you are compulsively overeating. When fear resentment, dishonesty, you know, selfishness. When those crop up, it tells us what to do with it. So it's presuming that they will crop up. But I will tell someone who's suffering right now that you need to recover and, and trust in the process. Um, you, you know, do the work. Do it quickly. We, we often say, like, your hair is on fire. But, but, you know, we get the sentiment. Do it quickly. Let's not research this too long. Let's not stay stuck in the disease too long. We, we, you know, it's not if we're going to pick up. It's only a matter of time. We can only hold our breath underwater for so long. So let's do the work. And then you tell me what, what has happened to you. You don't even have to trust me. But, but, but if you do the work, then you'll be able to come back to me and tell me what has happened to you. Every single person since the 1930s that has followed these instructions and was brought to this recovered state, they say to those who know, as a result of doing this work, no explanation is necessary. To those who do not yet know, no explanation is sufficient. And that's why I spoke to someone, you know, I get calls. That I don't know, you know certain people, but they call, and I'm grateful for it. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to this, 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 this person who's still suffering, that's why they're calling me, and then they're beginning to lay out what they, what they want, what they are looking for, what they need. And what I would say lovingly is, 
I wish someone would have told me this early on. How in the world do you know what you need? You wouldn't be calling me if you knew what you needed. Why don't we take the instructions of the big book? And I probably didn't end up, I probably ended up disturbing him a little bit, but all to the good. Hopefully, you know, all to the good. So I, I hope that helps a little bit. I don't know if it will or not. Thanks so much, Cindy D. Ed M., your question, please, and then Darlene H. Hi. Hi, Larry. Um, thanks for your service and share. Hi. Hi. Um, you mentioned the third and seventh step prayers are in the big book. I just wanted to know what pages. Hello? Oh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I muted myself. I muted myself. My apologies. Okay, and I'm yeah, Melanie. I'm fine on time here. Just to let you know. Uh, okay, so the um, the third step prayer, I believe, is on page sixty-seven, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just move over to my book here. Okay, um, in how it works, um, you have the third step affirmative declaration where it, um, and again, I'm in my big print here. I think it's on um, 66, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it starts, uh, we were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with, with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. So that is the uh, the third step. Now the seventh step is going to be in the chapter um, into action. And what always throws me here is I have a big print book, <laughs> Ed. So so my my numbers don't al align perfectly. So that's why I jotted it down here, and I'm just looking for where I put it. Uh -huh. uh, Okay, you're going to find, let's see here. And I don't know if there's, Mel, do you know what, what those pages are, the seven set? I'm sorry, you're talking about, I missed it, actually. Oh, there we go. Okay, so the third step, someone just see, this is what, this is our, this is our lovely, thanks. <laughs> go ahead, Harlan. Okay, 76, I believe, for the, uh, for the seventh step. Thank you, Harlan, and thanks, Jen. I got some 63 for the third step and 76 for the seventh step. And then on page 99 in the uh, AA 12 and 12 is that 11 step uh, prayer, which kind of coincides with the St. Francis prayer. So thank you, guys. Did you get that, Ed? Yes, thank you, Larry. Okay, my pleasure. Yep. Takes a village. I was going to say... Thanks, Team Sunday. <laughs> Darlene H., you're up next with your question, and then Jackie R. will come in after you. Thank you. Good morning, Darlene H. Larry, I'd like to say thank you to you for your... Hey, Darlene, your... just one second, please. For Just because of the recording purposes, are you able to go off of um, speakerphone, please? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, just to say thank you for your service to both of you. Sure. And and my question actually just got 
answered, I believe that the recommendation that you had given or suggestion that you had given during prayer and meditation for the prayers, it was the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and the 11th step prayer. Is that correct? Right. Just by way of suggestion. Right. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate all that oh, you do. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Oh, thanks, Darlene H. Uh, Jackie R., your question, please, and then Abby B. Okay. Do you call for Jackie R., right? I did. Hi. Good morning. Okay, good. <laughs> good morning. I was unmuting. So um, I have a very quick question. And for Larry, again, thank you. And I love your podcast and whenever you speak. My question is this, and I'm sorry if you answered it already, but um, I I don't know if if the book big book says it somewhere or what your take is on it. But what do you think, or what does the book book say about asking for prayers for yourself? I I I sometimes am taken back when people say say a prayer for me, say a prayer for me, and I'm like, does that conflict with what the book book big book says? Thank you. Yeah, I boy, I wish I could quote the page. Harlan, where does that come up where it's that, you know, it talks specifically about the, if you're on the line there, where it talks, because I'll just go to a good source here. He may have hung up, in which case I'll have to find it. But it does talk about, you know, that we do not, you know, we don't pray for ourselves unless it can be uh, of benefit to another person. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. I don't know if Harlan's still on the line. Let's see here. Page 87 and page 13. 87. Bingo. See, see, Harlan doesn't know. That's why I like to do, among other reasons, that's why I like to do a a, a big book study with him. Uh, Two two reasons. One, I can carry his bags and, 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 and drive him around. And then the second reason is he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of where everything is in the book, which I do not. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where it gives um, more instruction. And that's the, the main thing is, again, just to step 11, you know, um, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's, we, we are seeking knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. So when, when, when there's a, a suggestion that we, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it does say on those pages, it does say that we, you know, We've wasted essentially a lot of time praying for ourselves, and um, you know, and by doing that, you know, we're, you know, I'm not helping myself by praying because for many, many years it was the foxhole prayers where I wanted this, I needed that, and I mean, certainly God knew that I was in pain. So what was so terrible about that? And and we're not suggesting that you know someone's a bad person by praying for themselves, but I. I'm no longer running the show and I'm showing that I'm no longer running the show by saying, God, you take the wheel. You, you, you know, you take the wheel for a while. I'll sit in the back seat. I just want to know, uh, uh, what your, what knowledge, uh, knowledge of your will and, and just show, give me the power to carry that out. Does that help? We're going to say yes. Thanks so much, Jackie R. Abby B., your question, please. And then Susan H. will be our final question. Good morning, Abby. Star one, please. Yes, this is Abby B. in Maryland. Thank you very much. Thank you, Larry. I enjoy your your uh, pitch. Um, I have a question. Um, I love that phrase where we do not struggle. And then there's the other part that it says, during your day, we may face indecision and agitation or whatever. And I'm one of these people who is very used to struggling. 
and like with family, for example, where we have long histories of doing such things. Can you talk about your own experience? God willing, you have experience where, where you struggle and are agitated, but how you use the 11th breath uh, and prayer and uh, to, to bring harmony, I guess. That's another nice word. Thanks. You bet. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have, I'm, I'm, I will never rise above the level of a human being and I have my own, we all have our own uh, crosses to bear, if you will, you know, and, and some of mine are anxiety, anxieties around things. I, I'm a pleaser at heart. I want, I want to be, um, I want to be accepted. I, I, you know, I, I, I prefer harmony with people. You know, I don't, I don't set out to step on anyone's toes these days, but occasionally, um, you know, the world does not judge me by my intentions. Rather, the world judges me by my actions. Now, that's not to say that everyone's perception of my actions are accurate, but they're accurate for them, you know. And so I try to be more, uh, to have more empathy and acceptance for those people. So with me, the other thing that for a long time, which is, it, and I say, it, it's not like I went from, what I'm about to describe to never experiencing this, what I'm about to describe, but it has been diminished greatly. And that is what I call this notion of big shotism. Can, can anyone relate to that? And I'll, and I'll be more specific on what that might mean. Um, boy, oh boy, if I was going out to eat to a restaurant, as an example, uh, in my adult, I, I want to pay the bill. What, what, what is that? What's going on there? I think I'm, you know, at the core, there's a fear of rejection. I want validation from other people. I want to please other people. And you know what? It might not always be appropriate, and it's okay. And, and I would cringe if someone else, you know, I'm going to fight you for the check and, and, and more often than not win. And, um, and I'm a little bit less so that way. I think there was also kind of with that theme, there was a fear that, you know, I never wanted to be thought of as cheap. You know, I want to be thought of as very generous because if you thought I was generous, you would like me, you would, um, you know, these are, these are, and I, and I realize today by the grace of God and through this spiritual walk that that's not necessarily so. Now the dust does get kicked up from, for me from time to time. I also, um, you know, want um, uh, a people, uh, or I feel better when there's harmony and that people like me. And so, um for example, if uh, 99 out of 100 people express uh, some, something positive, I'm, you know, that's great. But if there's one that doesn't, that one has my attention. And f to a far greater proportion than, than, than is really necessary. And what I will tell you is I've gotten much better with that too. And, and so step 11 has helped me. The daily practice of step 11 has helped me to flesh out some of that stuff on a regular basis and not, not to keep that as my little secret that I'm going to walk around with some of those things. That's why I'm very comfortable in sharing that on this line, regardless of how you may take it or perceive it. That's your business. That is none of my business, how you perceive what I say, you know, and um, so step 11, absolutely that, that, you know, that nightly inventory, what I do in the, uh, in the morning upon awakening. I do those things every day imperfectly, but I do them. I engage in them. So, yeah, that's my answer on that. I hope that, uh, that helps to clarify a little bit. 
Thanks very much, Abby B., for your question. And Susan H. has the last question for you today. Larry, good morning, Susan. Good morning. This is Susan H. in Ohio. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I was sure glad to hear him say he does his nightly review imperfectly. I just hate to ask questions because I have to reveal my humanness again. And uh, nightly review is a big part of my life. I am sometimes a little less than honest on it. And I, I wanted to ask about that. What I'm afraid to admit that, uh, that I may have been resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid. Um, so I think well, that wasn't so bad. And I'll just gloss over it. And I'm, I you know, I just, I wanted to ask about it. So, of course, I reviewed the, that wonderful paragraph. And the answer's here. After make, so I've kind of answered my own questions and took up some time for no reason. But after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. So we ask for God's will again and follow. Yeah. So, yeah, the question is going to be, what do you do when you're kind of afraid to admit in your nightly review? Because you don't want to spend the next hour and a half before you go to sleep <laughs> trying to straighten it out. That was my question. Uh, I hope that makes sense. And uh, if you have anything to add to what came to me here, uh, that's it. I'll pass. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Susan. I have some things that come to mind. Um, yeah, th th this process for me is, is the unmasking of self, you know, and, and, and the step 11, uh, the nightly review helps me to unmask some things. And because I am not, um, I am no longer trying to fix myself, that I'm relying on God to take the wheel and God will fix me in God's time. I just want to get out of the way and be open. And one of the ways I get out of the way is owning up to those things. That's why I can be more honest than I ever have. And that, it's amazing. That serves God because when people hear honesty, authentic honesty, like I'll give you an example. So I, I get to pick on Harlan because I think I do. Um, and I don't think it'll be in the, in the context of this presentation. And then I'm going to bring it back to me. I'll give an example of me. I, do you know how meaningful it was for me to hear that Harlan was, um, you know, speaking, this guy's spoken all over the country and other countries and so forth. And, um, and he just, he tried, carries the message and it's always been a, a, a message of humility and a, and a big book focus message for me. You may feel differently, but that's me. Okay. So when I hear this guy share that he was at a, an event to speak and for whatever reason they didn't like what he was saying and they essentially sent them home first I got angry how dare you you know this is this is someone who I really really you know admire and has been so helpful to me but then when I start thinking about it that's that's humility that's someone who's not trying to protect an image why would he Right. And it probably didn't feel very good to him. But, you know, but, it, you know, this is this is. And so let me bring it back to me. When I when he can do that, then that gives me courage to share whatever it is that's going on with me. 
Like, for example, the time I get a text from someone, oh, uh, you're talking, you, I mentioned something about ego because that's what we're reading. Oh, you got a real ego. Now, there was no name or anything. You got, you got a real ego. How dare you talk about ego sharing as often as you do and so on and so forth. I can see, I can share that with you. And I'm not even suggesting that, you know, I just want you to know that we're all human beings, imperfect human beings. That person may have their own brand of sickness, and I certainly have mine, right? Um, but honesty is, is where how free do I want to be? More honesty, more unmasking. I, I'm not fixing myself. I'm laying that stuff out there, bearing that before God, the God of my understanding. And by getting more honest, I begin to transform and change internally. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. So anyways, that's a good segue to end there. I hope that was helpful. Thanks, Mel, for the opportunity. Thanks, Thanks for your service. Yep. You know, absolutely, absolutely. It was a wonderful way to spend the morning this morning with that teaching that you offered and further with the answering of the questions that you did for the fellowship today. It was awesome. Thanks so much, Larry, for that. Um, I wanted to give the share ID number for today. This is Sunday, June 9th, 2019, and it is 13013, 13,013. We will now close with the page, um, the reading on the page 164 of our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 